I want to invite you guys to turn with me um, to the book of James. As you know, we are walking our way through this letter in the back of your New Testament that James writes to a group of Christians scattered really around, um, really all around the known world at the time. It's a letter that really focuses on the idea of maturity, growing up in Christ. And one of the things we're praying for just as a leadership team is that the Lord would use um, this season in the life of our church to really grow us up and mature us in some ways. And so we've chosen the book of James to those ends. So I'm going to be reading verses 3, really down through verse 18. Now, tonight's sermon will focus on just verses 1 to 12, but I want to read it within its fuller context, and we'll cover the other part next week. And as has been our custom, we're going to pair this reading, the sermon reading, um, with a reading from the Old Testament, particularly from the book of Proverbs. All of this is in your worship guide. If it's easier for you to follow along there, please do. Would you listen closely and carefully to this God's word to us and for us tonight from the book of Proverbs? The sage writes, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. And then Proverbs 12, verse 18 says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And now from the book of James, verse one, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And, a tongue, and the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue, it is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? 
neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, a few moments ago, we saying, Lord, we need you. Oh, we need you every hour. We need you. And Lord, we acknowledge that we need you in this moment, in these moments, these minutes, to speak to us. Lord, we ask now, in your kindness and your mercy, that you would do the thing that only you can do. Would you, by the power of your spirit, take these words that are in your word, the words that I prepared, and use them to great effect in our hearts and in our souls, and for the glory of your name, and to give us great hope in our Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I was recently in a uh, discussion with a group of friends, um, and at some point in that discussion, a question was posed to the group for consideration, and the question was to this group of friends, could anybody share the most encouraging and life-giving thing that anyone has ever said to you? And the people in the group, at least some of them, didn't like the question because they were like, Joel, that's too hard. By the way, I was the one asking the question. Joel, that's too hard. I mean, the most life-giving thing anybody said to me ever. And I said, yeah. And everybody thought and sat. And it was a beautiful thing to watch as people began to, most of us, choke back tears to talk about the ways that words have been such a fountain of life in their life. Now, I want you to imagine for a second if we'd have done the question the other way, and I would have said, can now everybody go around and share the most painful, wounding thing that anyone has ever said to you? Now, I would never do that, because it would have been impossible to actually muster up the courage to discuss that. It would be so immediately fresh and painful for you would be unspeakable almost. And that is what this passage is about. It's about the ways our words, now there's a subtle thread in this text, our words can do good things, but there's a more overt thread about the way that our words can destroy. This is God's word about our words. And the scriptures will say a lot of things about human words. 
it mostly falls in two categories. God will speak extremely strongly about his distaste for lying, dishonest words. And though that applies to some things here, that's not quite what's in view. The scriptures will also talk of God's distaste for words that we speak from our mouths that are wounding and damaging to others. The flippant, thoughtless, unnecessary, critical, biting, cutting things that come from our mouths. And this text is as a strong of a call to repentance with regard to these words than you'll find anywhere in the scriptures. In fact, that's the main thing I really want you to hear tonight. It's the thing I know I need to hear tonight. Um, I will try to say it as honestly and as plainly from this text as I can, but I say it with a lot of pastoral pain and, and gentleness, knowing that I see it in myself. But the main thing I want you to hear tonight is that you and I tonight are invited to repentance with regard to our words. And here's a good way to think of repentance. Imagine repentance like this. We are driving 75 miles an hour down one interstate toward destruction when it comes to our words, both of ourselves and of other people. And this tonight is a chance to get off the interstate, off the ramp, to go across and get back on the ramp going another direction. That's a good way to think of repentance. This text is an invitation to make that turn. Y'all with me? Okay. And this call to repentance really comes in the form of a set of three images. First of all, the image of a bit and a rudder. The second set of images is that of fire and wild animals, actually. And then the third set of images have to do with trees and springs. So we're gonna walk through these images one at a time. So if you guys would take a look with me at James chapter three. James begins in verse one actually as somewhat of an aside because he addresses teachers. Look at verse one. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with great strictness. Apparently in this context, lots of people are clamoring to get up in front of people and teach. And what James is saying is you might not wanna do that because those who get up there and do that will be judged more strictly for the words that come out of their mouth. I think about this all the time. And it's like James is saying, oh, and while we're on the subject, how about the rest of you with regard to your words? So look here, bits and rudders. Verse two, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. Verse three, if we put bits into the mouths of horses that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Verse four, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. The picture is kind of clear here. James is saying, imagine a horse and imagine how the bit, that's the little thing that you put in a horse's mouth. Now I'm not much of a horse person, okay? So there are people in this room who know more about this than me, but bits are these things that go in horses' mouths. 
and you can direct the horse, this big, strong, powerful animal. You can pull it and let it and cause it to go anywhere that you desire it to go by just this little bitty thing. James also talks about a rudder. I'm not much of an expert in maritime life. But rudders are these small, relatively speaking, parts of a ship. But they can guide a ship, even against waves and currents, wherever the pilot wants it to go. In other words, this first set of images, James is trying to talk about the surprising, disproportionate power that our words have over the rest of our life. Okay? What James is, and he actually means this as a positive here. What he's saying is if you can get a hold of this part of your life, if you can get a hold of this, this one part of your life, it will have a disproportionate impact on the rest of your life. Y'all, I'm a pastor, and as a pastor, I sit down with people all week long who say something to me in effect like this. Joel, I just want to grow in my faith. I just want to mature. I just want my faith to sort of click more. I want to, I want to feel close to God to a greater degree. I, I just want to sort of get my faith to get moving in the right direction. And what James is saying here is if that's true of you, then your mouth is the place to start. So it's the surprising disproportionate power of our words. Now we have a second set of images. It's the image of fire and a wild animal. And what James means by this image, if the first one is of the surprising disproportionate power of our words, with this image, James means the alarming destructiveness of our words. The first image is that of fire. Look at the end of verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staying the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. The alarming destructiveness of our words. You know, this week I read about a famous wildfire, one of the most, one of the biggest wildfires in American history, just a few years ago in Mendocino, California. This fire was come, came to be known as the Ranch Fire. Wildfires are named like hurricanes are. I didn't know that. But this is the Ranch Fire, and the reason it was called the Ranch Fire is because a rancher from the Forest Service, the best they can tell, a rancher was driving a stake into the ground. And from the metal on metal, a small spark flew off. And he continues to drive his stake, and he turns around and looks, and he sees that he's got a little patch of fire burning. This rancher goes into the shed to grab a bucket, and by the time he came out, it was too late. Within 11 minutes, his ranch was gone. Within 48 hours, 400,000 acres had been burned. $400 million worth of damage by a spark. It says it burned, James says it burns everything in its path. Our careless little sparky words. They set on fire the whole course of our life. 
you know what he means, don't you? Because the chances are good that you have let a spark fly out of your mouth and it has burned down a relationship or has burned down unity within a group of people. There's a chance that that very thing has been done to you. And I want to say something as just a side note. In our culture, there's this idea that we're supposed to kind of be real, be authentic, put it all out there. And sometimes that is misinterpreted. I mean, in other words, to be real and authentic is a good value. But sometimes a quest for that, it gets misinterpreted as the as if saying everything on our mind is virtuous. And the scriptures would tell us saying everything on our minds, everything we're thinking is foolish. Sometimes for good intention to just kind of get it all out there, we'll say things that can burn things down. And the scriptures would teach us to be very, very careful, not to hide, not to fake, The scriptures never ask us to be fake. That's something people who live in the American South need to hear. The scriptures don't ask us to do that, but the scriptures do ask us to be very, 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 very sober-minded with our words, to season them with salt so they can taste good to another person, to speak them in love so that they can build another person up, even when being honest. And, and y'all, this line, I've, I've, I've thought about this all week long, and I, I, I thought about it when I was going to bed, and, and when I woke up, it is set on fire by hell. Our tongues are set on fire by hell. James, what do you mean? And what James means is, is that our words, when we speak them flippantly and thoughtlessly, In those moments, we are entering into a kind of partnership with evil and death and darkness. You know, around Grace Fellowship, we say just like God has ends, things he desires to do, he has means, channels by which he does that. The honest truth is Satan has those too. He's got ends, things he wants to do, steal, kill, and destroy, and he has means, often our mouths. James moves on to talk about wild animals, verses seven and eight. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The picture here is of a wild animal that can be tamed. And James is saying all kinds of animals can be tamed, but the tongue, the human tongue is like this particularly wild animal that you can't tame that's highly poisonous and highly venomous. Got to be very careful around that animal. And there's something hidden here. I don't want you to miss it. And that is the fact that if our words can be that destructive, we can't lose sight of the fact 
that the reverse is also true. If our words have the power to be that destructive, if they can catch things on fire, they can also cool things off. They can put out fires. The scriptures will teach us again and again and again that from the mouth of the righteous person, life can come, a fountain of life. There's a third set of images. It's the idea of springs and trees. And if the first image was about the disproportionate power of our words, if the second image was about the alarming destructiveness of our words, this third image, the springs and trees image, has to do with the deep incongruence between what we claim in our hearts and what we say with our mouths. It's challenging. Look at verse 9. With it, meaning our mouths, our tongues, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing, my brothers and sisters. These things ought not to be so. What James is saying is, is the fact that you and I are in here blessing. We're, we're singing praises to God, perhaps. Perhaps we're blessing someone in this body who's a friend of ours. And I'm just going to speak about me. But the chances in about 45 minutes, when I leave from here, after I've blessed with my words, to be harsh and to curse with my words, it's very likely. And normally those words are aimed at the people closest to my life. And James is saying it ought not be that way. Verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this, these things ought not to be so. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water, springs, Verse 12, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs, trees? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This springs and trees metaphor. What James is trying to say is that the things that come out of our mouths is a certain guarantee of the things that are in our hearts. someone who's walking in wisdom and maturity, certain things don't come out of their mouth. Jesus captured it like this. Jesus said, from the heart, the mouth speaks, period. Y'all, I'm going to speak about me again. You know, oftentimes, I'll make a mistake with my mouth. And by the way, Almost every mistake I've ever made in my life began with my mouth. Sometimes I'll make a mistake with my mouth and I'll be tempted to say to someone, I'm sorry, that's not who I am. And according to James, that's not true. What we say is always who we are.
Do you see why I say this is a call to repent? This text is a call to turn. And the the whole reason that James is pleading with his people and the whole reason God's spirit and his kindness and providence has brought us here at Grace Fellowship to this moment with you in this room is because there's an offer for things to be different. I want you to return with this to this image of like the interstate. Some of us in this room are going 70 miles down the interstate to destruction with regard to our words, either destroying people around us, which at the same time is destroying us. Some of us are going 100 miles an hour down that road. Some of us are going 40. (laughs) But you can always put the pedal to the metal and be at 60 in like one second or whatever, depending on the car you have. See, I'm not a car guy either. But this text is a call to get off the ramp, to then turn left and go across the interstate to get on the ramp going as fast as you possibly want to the other way. And there's enough gas in the tank to go there quickly. But here's the thing, going there quickly is not just feeling sort of like mopey. I'm so, I'm so sad that I'm, I'm such a screw up when it comes to my words. That's, that's not actually repentance. That's the shame. And I want to remind you that Jesus has borne your shame. Repentance is also not being annoyed that you have to deal with the consequences of your words. It's not really repentance. You know what that is? That's being annoyed (laughs) that you have to deal with the consequences of your words. I didn't mean to say that. (laughs) Repentance is not saying, you know what? I'm going to suck it up with enough self-control and I'm going to count to 55 before I ever say anything ever again. That's called trying to do something in your own strength. Repentance looks like heading that way towards someone. His name is Jesus. And the scriptures teach that he is a reliable guide. And he's a reliable guide in at least the following ways. First of all, if you want some devotional material this week, go and just read and highlight the way Jesus uses words in the gospel stories. He always tells the truth, even when it's difficult. But his words are intended to bring healing in every exchange. There are times where Jesus will face a difficult situation, and you'll watch him keep his mouth shut. And the scriptures teach that he has been, or he is the wisdom of God in his very person, and he has been faithful with regard to his words. And the scriptures teach, because you and I, if we know him, we're united to him. And that his obedience, his tamed tongue gets to be yours. If you'll lean on his strength, 
But as if that were not enough, Jesus is not just a reliable guide, he's even more. Jesus is a sinless savior. And Jesus goes to the cross. And have you ever noticed when you read the, the, the stories of Jesus' death on the cross, have you ever noticed how it is emphasized in the passage? And in the passages, it is emphasized that Jesus endures mocking insults. Have you ever noticed that? It's a major feature of the stories. And the reason Jesus endures mocking insults like that, there's a few reasons. Number one, so he could know what it's like to be you when you've endured them. Number two, so he could absorb the punishment from when you have said them. And he can forgive you of those sins. Three, so that in his death, he can cast judgment on every time someone has used words to burn and destroy you. And on that cross, Jesus becomes Christ the victor, who is killed, quite literally, the power of evil and sin and death and hell, and he has destroyed the works of the devil. He's been raised to new life. He's given his spirit to live inside you so that you can be transformed. Those are the gifts that await you, all those and more, by getting off the ramp, going across the interstate, and going back as far as you can toward him. You and I are invited. We're invited to repentance with regard to our words. It can all be yours tonight. Let's pray. Lord, again, these things are so much easier to talk about from a pulpit than to live even 20 minutes from now. And we ask by the power of your spirit that you would stir our affections in such a way that we move toward you and we move away, turn away from the power of evil and death and sin and Satan so that we can mature and grow up, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.